We began a, a series a little bit ago, um, building up to Easter, and I love that it, it came out to the, this week is Palm Sunday, and this week is where we are in the series. We, did, we titled the series Devoted the Mess, and, and so I pushed on you guys initially saying that, that relationally in, in this world, we're, we're kind of messed up. Things, things are struggling, and, and I asked you early on, like, how many of you have broken relationships, whether it's a family member or a friend or a person at the church next to you? Or, we all kind of struggle with this, with this brokenness in relationships. And, and I, I pushed on you and said, look, social media hasn't help, helped it by any means. We, we treat friendships like a four-year-old in a schoolyard where it's like friend or unfriend on Facebook. It's like we just kind of pick them in a moment. And, and said that, that ultimately all of us kind of struggle with a different balance where we're either like this Fort Knox walking around with 17 walls that we will, we will agree to, to enter in relationally if you can meet these 17 criteria first and then maybe we'll look through the peephole of one of the many walls and maybe start getting to know you. And so we just kind of have this, these walls up and no one ever gets in and we're, we're, we're relationally disconnected and not devoted anyway. And I joked and said the other side, some of us are extroverts like, like me. We're extroverts and maybe a lot of people like you, but we hide behind that and no one really knows us. And ultimately, we all struggle and desire and, and want to be known. We want to be, be devoted to others. And we want to have that devotion to us. And so what we did is we just kind of laid out this series. It's kind of working its way up to Easter. And, and the beginning was if, if we are a people, if we're a church and we're in this place, I kind of pushed on you out of Ephesians. So look, Ephesians 2 tells us that, that Jesus preached peace to those who were far and those who were near. Those who, are, who were, were raised or were never near the church, haven't experienced anything, and those who were raised in the church and had like the Iwana patches, like they memorized it. He preached peace to both of them, reconciled them, made him as the cornerstone, the foundation, and then reconciled us as a people. And that's so important. If we are reconciled as a people, then that means as a people, we have a role on this earth. We have a purpose of what we are to do in this place. So then this, saying that if we are a people, the purpose of us being together as a church, the purpose of, us, uh, purpose of us was out of Ephesians 3 where we are to display the manifold wisdom of God. Meaning that, that, that God is delighted to dwell inside of us where he's removed the building as a temple and made us as a people in the temple and he dwells inside of that. And then we together display the wisdom of God to this world. But separated, we don't display that. Separated, we, 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 we are compartmentalized in parts of it. We miss the purpose. So if we are a people and we are to display the manifold wisdom of God, then we have a purpose. And so the second week was, what does it mean for us as his people to be devoted to the world? What does it mean for you and I to be salt and light, to do and to preach the good news to this world? And we looked at the Samaritan at the well and said that Jesus kind of gave us a, a, a way to operate in that. He was very intentional and relational. It was, even though it was culturally unacceptable, he still stepped in relationally to this woman. And yet he also preached grace and truth at the same time. And we talked about if we get any of those out, we, we misplace the point of what Jesus was doing. It takes those three things, intentional, relational, grace, and truth. If we're going to be the salt and the light, then we have to be those three things with the individuals that God has around us in this world. And then last week we worked into, we moved into, well, okay, that's how we are to interact with the world. Well, then how do we interact with one another? And we, we put up the 59 verses in the New Testament alone that have something to be said about how we are to live with one another, admonish one another, love one another, serve one another, bring peace to one another. It's over and over and over, and it talks about this one another. And I pushed on you saying, like, I think the church really struggles to be devoted to one another, which is the Apostle Paul said in Romans 12. This devotion wasn't some single worthy act it was a, a lifestyle continually pushing in of, I don't agree with you, but I'm not going to push away from the table. I am devoted. I'm in a covenantal relationship with God, which makes us covenantal to one another as those that have been redeemed by the work of Jesus Christ. 
And so if we are to, to admonish one another and to serve one another, well, some of the one another's are what we're going to focus on this week. And those one another's are specifically forgive one another. See, it wouldn't take long for me to say, how many of you have a relationship that's inside the church that's strained? Someone else that is a professing follower of Jesus that, that you guys are at odds. And we can argue the theology, well, are they really saved? I don't know. Like, no, I'm just saying, like, whether they claim it or not, you, you're at odds with this person. And the problem is, is like we looked at John last week, John 13. Jesus says that the way that you love others will show that you are my disciples. Well, we can't love others if we're unwilling to forgive. And so what Jesus is going to push on us this week, and we'll get there in a second, he's going to push on us the fact that we are, and I, I kind of titled this, we need to be devoted to repentance. We need to be postured in a way that we are devoted, I mean, ferociously, like incredibly hard pushing into repentance. And repentance is a, is a term that, that you've maybe, if you've been any time around the church, you've heard it defined. But repentance is this idea of turning from, but it's not just turning from, it's a, it's a running to. And so when it's used biblically, it's, it's turning from sin. It's turning from those, that rebellion towards God, and instead of just turning away from it, it's running to God's grace and love. It's not just a turning and standing still, it's a running to. A while ago, I, t I taught about repentance being, a, a sin being a line that we have. Like, a line is an apex predator. It's meant to eat. If it's not eating or killing, it's thinking about eating or killing, right? That's its purpose. And the problem is, is that we try and train an apex predator. We try and, and, and teach our sin to fall around with us. When ultimately, we need to, and don't call Pete on me, we need to take that line out in the street and shoot it, right? We need to have a hatred towards the sin and run from it and come towards God. So repentance is this, is this posture that is, I hate what I've done that's apart from God, and therefore I desire and want and love to be a part of God, and it only comes through the person and work of Jesus Christ. So assuming that you and I, that those of us that are here that have surrendered to the work of Jesus Christ, the one that we're celebrating this week as Holy Week, and we're excited about what he's done for us on the cross and the resurrection, for those of us, we're called to forgive. Now, to do that, we have to set up a couple ground rules. First off, there has to be a recognition of wrong. There has to be a recognition of wrongdoing. So this is, this is key. If we're going to get anywhere today, you need to understand that there has to be a recognition that, that what you did was wrong. Now, we get that out of God's word. We get that from the Spirit of God compelling us, leading us to live a life that glorifies Jesus Christ. We get that from fellow believers that, that are using God's word to sharpen us and to, to rebuke us and to admonish us and to, to encourage us. And so it takes a recognition that something has happened is wrong. That may, make, that may seem very simple, but here's the thing. A lot of us in this room and a lot of people you interact with are really good at recognizing the wrong, but it's not godly sorrow. 2 Corinthians 7 says, 7.10 says, For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. Salvation without regret, that sounds amazing. Godly sorrow leads to that. Whereas worldly grief produces death. And so what it's saying is there is grief that is not godly. There is snot-filled, Kleenex-filled tears that isn't a godly sorrow. And you've seen this. You've seen someone come back. They've been caught. They've been busted. Like, oh, it's a horrible thing. And it only lasts so long because it's not godly grief that leads to salvation. It's a worldly sorrow that's, that's stuck in this cycle of I'm sorry I did this, but not really owning it. So it takes an understanding of we have wronged. We have been wronged. And this is important because, let's, let's, let's be honest, some of you have been sinned against in a horrible way. And some of you have sinned against someone else in a horrible way. To assume, to make light of that is offensive to the cross that Jesus Christ hung on. 
to make light of our sin is offensive. Because, because Jesus, God was so compelled by our sin to do something to restore us that he, he actually crucified Jesus Christ on our behalf so that we could be right for him. So why would he minimize and limit the wrongdoing? And some of you today, this is just going to be a push, and you're going to go, man, I, 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 don't, I don't feel like I did anything wrong. We'll, we'll kind of look at God's word in a number of different verses. But, but before we get there, I just, I, I feel like it, it's worth showing you. I did some research on trying to figure out, like, what does godly sorrow and worldly sorrow look like? And so I, I did some research, and I kind of looked around and tried to find some, some work. And there was this incredible video that, that I believe shows what sorrow is supposed to look like. And so what we're going to do is just for a minute, I'm going to show you this video real quick, and I'll get up and talk again. Um, this, is, this is kind of an idea of what sorrow is supposed to look like. Let's go ahead and watch this. Hey, kid, I want you to spill your guts. Tell us everything. 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 Okay, I'll talk. In third grade, I cheated on my history exam. In fourth grade, I stole my Uncle Max's toupee and I glued it on my face when I played Moses in my Hebrew school play. In fifth grade, I knocked my sister Edie down the stairs and I blamed it on the dog. But the worst thing I ever done, I mixed up all this fake puke at home and then I went to this movie theater, hid the puke in my jacket, climbed up to the balcony, and then, then I made a noise like this. And then I dumped it over the side on all the people in the audience. Then, then this was horrible. All the people started getting sick and throwing up all over each other. I never felt so bad in my entire life. Mom, they're going to like this kid, Mom. So that's what it's supposed to look like. No, I brought that in because today is a, it's, it's something that, let's be honest, all of us are going to struggle with. I struggle with it all week as I've been studying it. But, but there's, there's something about a posture where you have a complete disregard for what your reputation may mean because you're identified by Christ. Meaning that I know that what God calls me to do, what God calls of me when it comes to forgiveness, I am going to dive into that despite what people may know. And it's this, it's this confession of here's everything I've ever done, God. It's what we do when we come to the cross. Here's who I am. I'm, I'm nothing. I'm nothing without you. Now, I, I surrender. I'm poor in spirit, and therefore I want your righteousness. And it's this disregard for everything that you were so that you can surrender to who you are, identified as a child in God through Jesus Christ. It's this repentance that, that recognizes that what you've done is wrong. It takes us understanding that first because my assumption is right now as I've talked about relationships and forgiveness is you've got someone in your mind possibly. You've got someone that maybe hurt you, sinned against you, and you're like, man, have I forgiven them? Or, or maybe even do you know something like, like, I did this that wasn't super kind. I shouldn't have done that. And what you're, you're doing right now is, is you're doing exactly what the enemy would love to do, which is the same thing I talked about last week, is, is to start dividing you up and saying, it's okay, don't worry about it. You don't need to have that conversation. Just run to another church. Just, just leave that, that group, leave that community group. Just push away, run away from it. Don't, don't invest it. And what he's saying is he's trying to tell you right now, is, it's okay, you know what, yeah, you, you shouldn't have sinned. Like, yeah, gossip and slander, but, but they don't really know, so it's okay. And that is, that is, that is hostile to the cross. And so what, what Jesus pushes on us, and actually he says, um, um, before we get there, Jesus pushes us on us, he says that we are to forgive as he has forgiven us. 
So what I, my encouragement to you guys today, my encouragement would be Psalm 139 is this, is this prayer that you guys would pray, and it's, it's, it's search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me. And it doesn't stop there. And this is where most of us, it's this authentic prayer before God. God, search me. Find out what's in me. It's not search my friend. Tell my spouse. If you're right now thinking about someone else that needs to come and ask for forgiveness, like stop. It's search my heart, God. In me, what is grievous in me? And then he says, and lead me in the way everlasting. So it, 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 it kind of denotes this idea that you're going to start stepping in a way. You're going to move towards this way that is not of the grievous way. So he's going to lead you out of that. It's, it's this authentic, God, would you search me? Help me see where I am separate. Help me see what isn't of you. Lance was, and during worship was talking about this the rebellion and we reflect God like help me see where I'm not reflecting the spirit of Jesus Christ the spirit of God the, through Jesus Christ help, help me see that Paul in Acts 24 16 says so I always take pains to have a clear conscience towards both God and man this takes work you can't, if you're just thinking you can be lazy about it and just like it will happen someday. No, it takes work. He is painfully moved to make sure that he is clear before God and man. It takes an honest evaluation of who we are for this to get anywhere. And then Jesus has this, this scripture in Matthew chapter 5 where he goes in and he says, it's an interesting um, kind of silly uh, like story in the Sermon on the Mount because he's talking about giving sacrifices. And at this time when you would bring in a sacrifice to the altar, it wasn't just financial. It was usually something to atone for sin. So it was like, I'm going to bring this animal to, to, you know, to be sacrificed, his blood to be spilled, which is where Jesus Christ took, was the sacrifice for all. It was the unspotted, the perfect lamb that took that sacrifice away so that we could be right through his blood that was spilled. And so in, in Matthew chapter 5, verses 23, Jesus says, so if you're offering your gift at the altar, and there remember, there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. The reason why I said this is silly, I don't know if they had like leashes for doves or something like, hey, dude, this dove right here, I got to head back to Galilee. It's like a week to get there and back. So just hold on to this dove. I'll be back. And then you come and then you, I don't know if they babysat him. I have no idea. But either way, maybe there's a daycare. Um, it's kind of like the kids ministry, you know, with the kids running everywhere. No. But essentially what this is doing is Jesus is making this point saying, look, your worship to me is affected by your relationship to your brother's. Your relationship to me, your worship to me as God, which he is entitled to, he is right for, we should be doing, our life is designed for that, we were created to worship, that is affected by our relationship with one another. Your worship to me is affected by that. And now, this is a clear, now, remember that your brother, it's interesting, it's the, it depicts the idea of that when you enter into the throne, when you enter into God's moment, his glory, when you come in to worship him, that light exposes in you things that aren't of him. So this, your brother has something against you, isn't something that is just like this random, uh, you know, you have no idea. I don't know. I played basketball. I was never really that great at it, so don't ask me to play with you. But um, I played basketball, and if you play without a referee, there's kind of this, like, this, the, the court rules is you call your own foul. So either the defender calls the foul, but most of the time it's like as the offensive person, they can decide if they want to call the foul. Well, if you've ever played that game, there's always that one guy that like you're four feet from and he calls a foul because he missed a shot. You know what I mean? Like it's like, I didn't even touch you. Like how is that possible? That's not what Jesus is talking about here. 
He's not talking about these random spots where you have no idea. You just drove and someone's like, I hate that person forever. Like, he's not talking about that. It's you knowing that there was a conversation, something that was wrong, and understanding that it is not settled. There was a, there was a wrong that happened, occurred. There was, a, there was a confrontation. There was something that wasn't reconciled. There's, there's, there's a rift. It's understanding and knowing. It's not just some hypothetical out there like, I may have offended someone, which, let's be honest, has happened for all of us, which I think is enough for us to say we should pay way more attention to what we say and do. There is, a, there is a level of accountability on us individually to make sure that our words are kind and gentle. Our actions show the truth of God. But this is saying there is a wrong, recognizing there is a wrong. And then Jesus goes on in, verse, uh, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 14. He says, after he just teaches us how to pray, he teaches us this beautiful prayer, everyone loves it, it's awesome, it's amazing, it's, it's full of so much great truth. And then he goes in right after, he says 614, he says, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Now that's such a big statement. That's such a huge statement because it's the same way, if you, if you forgive, then God's going to forgive you. And I kind of wish he wouldn't have put this next part in. Because that's hard enough to listen to. But then he goes on and says, But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive yours. And it's this interesting tie between our relationship with God and our relationship with others and forgiveness. We see it in Mark chapter 11. The Apostle Paul teaches it. James teaches it. We hear it all over about forgiving others and that relating to how we are forgiven before God. Now, I want to be really clear about something. My restored relationship to God is done through the person and work of Jesus Christ, through faith in Him alone, not by any works, not by anything I did. That's my restored relationship. It's not, well, I didn't forget this day, so I must not be restored. But there's something to be said. I think what Jesus is pushing on and what Paul pushes on and everyone kind of pushes on is there's something to be said that if you've experienced God's forgiveness, then you can extend God's forgiveness or then you can extend forgiveness. Right? Just like last week, if you've experienced God's love, John 13, right? You love because I loved you. The same way I've loved you, love one another. We can love because he has first loved us. We can forgive because he has first forgiven us. Think about it really quickly. How many of you in here would say you're sin-free, never sinned in your life? Just in case you're wondering, no one's raising their hands, okay? We all have it. In fact, let me push on that a little bit further. I'd be willing to bet at times you can't look yourself in the mirror because of the shame you carry about it sometimes. Like, let's be honest, the weight of our choices and sins can be very daunting and heavy. Now, to speak of that shame, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You're not your reputation. You're not your mistakes. You are a, a precious, redeemed child of God if you surrender to Christ. So, so own that and live in that. Don't let anyone tell or anything tell you different. But the point is, is we know, we know in the heart of hearts, none of us anywhere was like, man, I was thinking awesome, and then God came in and made me awesomer. Like, none of us sit in that spot. All of us know, man, I was a mess. You don't want to experience Bren before Christ. I'm not awesome. And because of what Christ has done, I can claim I am righteous. So let's be honest, all of us know our sin exists and it's ugly. So, so why then, why then, if we know what God has forgiven us, which is ridiculous, and he continues to, to say, like, point to the cross, like, no, no, Jesus died for that. Don't worry about it, brother. You know, you sinned again, it's cool. Jesus, Jesus went to the cross and he paid for that. Then why would we stand in a spot of pride where it's like, well, I know what Jesus did for me, but I ain't doing that for you. 
I know what he did. I know what he forgave me. I know how horrible of a person I was. But you know what? You, you wore that shirt again. And I, you know what? I can't forgive you for it. It's a bad example. But either way, you get what I'm saying. The point is, is we, we posture ourselves in pride and anger of, I'm not going to forgive this person. And you're sitting in a spot where you're going, where it's kind of like God is going, hey, hey, Bren, sit down for a second. Do you remember when you, yeah, yeah. Do you remember when I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember that. Yeah, my grace was lavish for that. I poured it out and poured it out and poured it out, and I will keep pouring it out on you as my child. How dare we hold forgiveness against our brothers and sisters in Christ? How dare we posture ourselves in a prideful spot of saying, I will not forgive them? Now, let me be very clear. They very well may have sinned against you. They may have done something absolutely horrifying to you. Some of you experienced some of the ugliest of sins ever. I'm not saying that forgiveness makes the sin go away. Forgiveness is my heart being dealt with. My forgiveness is, is, is posturing myself in that way. It's a legitimate hurt that was there. Legitimate hurt that was there. But Jesus lies out, lays out our forgiveness to one another tied to our forgiveness with God. I can't love if he didn't love me. I can't forgive if he didn't forgive me. But because he loved and because he forgave, I love and forgive. And that isn't optional. That's not something we just go, oh, okay, cool. So what I wanted to do is, is we have, there's plenty of other scriptures that talk about this forgiveness, but we, I want to talk, like, let's talk about repentance and let's talk about making this right. Let's kind of get really, really practical for a second. Because I feel like a lot of times, it's some of the, we all know what the Bible says. Most of us are kind of feeling like, why did I come to church today? Like, this is great. I didn't need to get kicked in the teeth. Right, most of us are struggling. Like, we recognize, man, I, I'm, I'm just as guilty as this as you are. We all posture ourselves and hold this. And so I want to I say, we know what the Bible says. So let's talk about some practical things that maybe are getting in the way of that. Jesus has commanded us to forgive. So the first thing I want to say is, is, is to, to genuinely do this, it takes the right understanding of ourselves. Okay, we kind of hit on this a little bit. It takes the right understanding of ourselves. I have to understand that I am a sinful person apart from God. That, that means it's a right understanding. If you ever, like, I had a mentor once tell me this, Brent, if you're always right, it's a good chance that something's going wrong. Like, if you're always right, something's wrong. And, and here's the thing. Right now, there are some of you in this room right now that you feel like, in all these conversations, like when I started saying this, you started thinking about like this person, oh, this person in school, and oh, this person right here, and this, my, oh, this family member. And in every single one of those situations, you're right. In every single one of those. And it, look, it's, there's a chance that that's a possibility, a, a small chance, but let's look at the common denominator. Right, the common denominator is, okay, well, these, all these relationships are falling apart. What did I do? And this is where that search my heart, God, reveal to me what I have done in this. But it takes a correct understanding of ourselves. God gives grace to the humble, opposes the proud. It takes you and I being willing to drop down that pride and say, God, I am nothing apart from you. Help me make this right. It takes a healthy understanding of who we are. You will not get to a spot of forgiveness if you don't think that you ever did anything wrong. And look, your situation, they may have done 90% of the things that are wrong. It's like, well, if they wouldn't have done this, this, and this, I wouldn't have done this. Let me just say this very clear. Their sin does not justify your sin. I don't care if it's 90% their fault and 10% yours. 10% is still sin. And again, God sent Jesus Christ to the cross to die for that 10%. 
So how dare we make light of any sin, any rebellion that is, is not reflecting the glory of God on earth that Lance was talking about? How dare we sit in that spot? So it takes a first, a genuinely understanding of our sin, not minimizing, not blaming, not shifting. Well, you know, I did this, or I was kind in this spot, or I wouldn't have done it. I was really tired. No, 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 no. Let's just call it what it is. I sinned. I, I sinned against God. I sinned against you. I love David. I sinned against you and you alone, God. It's like, David, you kind of murdered someone and slept with another person's wife. Like, I think you sinned against some other people. But it's this recognition, right? Like, I have sinned against you, God, and that is because of my sin towards you, it has enabled me to sin towards everyone else as well. What's broken here spills out here. And so it takes an understanding. I'm not going to blame. I'm not going to just kind of shift. And it's like, well, I was really tired. I was young then. Or, you know, I, I, may, you know, I drank a little bit too much or whatever. I just wasn't in my own self. Or I just, I was, it was an off kind of week. It's no, it's I have sinned. There's, there's wrong in place that needs to be dealt with. So it takes, a, at first it takes an understanding of ourselves. Recognizing and being willing to say, okay, God, search me. And when he reveals it, because he will, when he reveals it, it's going, okay, now lead me in the way of everlasting. Help, help me figure out how to make this right. So first, we have to understand that we've done it. Secondly, one of my counselors told me this, and I think it was really, really key because it, it affects the way we go relationally. He says that forgiveness does not equal trust, does not equal reconciliation. So he said, look, we are biblically commanded to forgive. We're biblically commanded. We have that. There's no, no misunderstanding of that. And we, and we are called to reconcile. But we, we, we're, not, we're not, if someone came over and was babysitting my kids and did something horrible to my kids, I can forgive them of that, but I'm not going to just trust them to watch my kids the next day. Right? That takes time. But then what he said, which I thought was brilliant, was that reconciliation, to reconcile, there has to be trust. To trust, there has to be forgiveness. They don't equal each other, but you have to have all three in that order to see a restored relationship. And here's the other thing about reconciliation. It takes both people. It takes both people. Even with, with God. It takes me recognizing my depravity, seeing where I'm at and saying, okay, God, I, I surrender my life as you. Lord, it's the Romans 10, 9. I confess, right, in my heart and believe who you are. You're my supreme Lord now. Let's, let's do this. It's a reconciliation. It's two parties that come together and make it happen. Some of you, you've forgiven over and over again, and you feel like you've extended trust, but there's no reconciliation because the other person has no desire for it. So it's not that. But some of you right now, let's be honest, some of you are going, I don't want to forgive that person because I don't like them. And I don't want to be their friend. I don't want to hang out with them. And a lot of us are withholding forgiveness because we're assuming that if we forgive, the relationship where it was at has to be right there again. And that's just not the truth. But you still have to forgive. You're not free from that. You still have to forgive and, and move in that. So some of you, it's, it's, a, it's an act of, okay, I got to forgive this. And recognizing that the trust will come over time and then the reconciliation cap when we're both there. But you don't just jump from one to the other. It takes time. It takes space. So it's important that you understand that. It's important that you understand that you are a problem at times. You make mistakes. Some of you, you, you won't do this because you, um, you're kind of like forgetting it happened. Or, or actually, let's say it this way. Um, you, you are lazy at doing this. You're like, well, I could go, but it's, you know, I haven't seen them in a while, and it'd be weird to call them, and, you know, they haven't talked to each other. We haven't really done it. And you're kind of just, you're using an excuse of, well, it's, it's just, it'd be a lot of work. Like, or 
man, if I go to this person, then I probably better go to that person and then that person. I just, I don't got time with that. Like, I'm trying to be a family guy. Like, I, you know, I got, I got my priorities here. And you, you've been justifying it, which, which Romans 12, 18, Paul, Apostle Paul says, if possible, now if possible, as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with most people. No, he doesn't say that. If possible, live at peace with the people that are easiest to get along with. No, he says with all. So that scenario of, well, I could go, the question would be asked you, okay, well, it's just, if I asked you, just one friend or the other, have you done everything that you can to do what it, it takes to get, to get right with that relationship? And you may be able to say with a clear conscience, yeah, I have. I've labored like the Apostle Paul said. I've worked hard on that. Then go in peace. That's great. But my, the assumption is that maybe some of them you haven't. Like, well, I, you know, I guess I, I mean, I could have done more than that little text message like, hey, maybe been a little bit more clear takes work. Some of you, you sit in this spot, and this is another practical issue. We get in the spot where we just like, oh, I, I kind of forgot it. You know, I, for, I forgot it, and I moved on. It's cool. Just forget it. You know, like, God forgets our sins. That is such a scary statement. Do you realize that's such a scary statement? Because God, for God to forget my statements, that means that something could jog his memory, and all of a sudden he'd remember them again. Right? If he's going to forget my sins, it's like, oh, man, I totally forgot. that. Brian, you messed up, dude. Like, you're out you're out. Sorry, I, I know I forgot, but it just, it just slipped my mind. And, and well, now I remembered because I saw this person do it and it totally reminded me of you and therefore you're guilty again. Romans, or Hebrews 8 says that he chooses not to remember. That is a very big difference. He says, I choose to look at you through the perfect person of Jesus Christ and I remember no more. So there's no accident of him going, oh, whoa, Brian, you screwed up, dude. He's not confused by that. So you saying, well, I just forgot you know, I've kind of forgot about it. I know, that, I know what he said. It was hurtful, but I just kind of forgot about it. Well, guess what? Something will remind you of it at some point, and it'll come. And the enemy, I, he loves to just go, yeah, yeah, you know what? You totally forgot. You're, you're fine. Just let it go. Just let it go. Just move on and pretend like it didn't happen. And then it sits underneath that metaphorical rug that gets taller and taller and taller. And then something falls in that rug, and everything spills out. If you're married, you, you know this. This is how this scenario happens, right? Everything seems perfectly fine, and you put, like, the, the Kleenex box, like, one foot over on the, the counter. It's like, why'd you do that? Like, the, the fight breaks out about the Kleenex box, which has nothing to do with the Kleenex box and everything to do with the hurts that haven't been dealt with and the bitterness that's setting in and the unforgiveness that's set in. You can't just shove it under a rug and pretend it didn't happen. Secondly, there's a, there's, a, there's a correct way of going about this. Um, some, some people hide behind the statement of, I'm just really not a confrontational person. And you assume because you're non-confrontational that you're extending grace. That's, that's not true. I mean, maybe it could be in some ways. But so you're like, you're like oh, I, just, I don't like confrontation, so I'm, I'm not going to bring it up. Because it just be there. And so I'm just going like, to kind of step away from that and just kind of hide from it. And I'm not going to do it. That, that, again, is hostile to the cross. Because if sin is present, then sin has to be dealt with. It, whether it's yours or theirs. And here's the thing. If you notice this forgiveness, even when Jesus says someone has something against you, this forgiveness thing is, is, is more about my heart. And it's, it, here's the thing. If you don't forgive that one person, it clouds and poisons all the other relationships in your life. You can't, you can't walk around with unforgiveness or bitterness. 
So you say, well, I'm just not confrontational, so I don't, I don't like to, I don't like to rock the boat, and I, you know, I don't, I don't know, like I feel like I don't want to say it too much, like just by the the straight point that we are to be like Jesus, like Jesus said at times, at times like eat my flesh and drink my blood. All right, anyone follow me now? What? Like he was, he was willing to bring out that truth, not in a, in a harsh way. He was, he was t- full of gentleness and grace. But what I'm saying is that he was willing to rock the boat if the boat was, was not honoring God, if the boat was going the wrong direction. A lot of times the pressure that you feel in your life is God is trying to cut from you the things that are not of him, and it's painful. But you come out looking more like him on the other side. So to say, well, I just don't like confrontation, so I'm not going to do it, that's not going to get you anywhere because your heart isn't dealt with. Oh, you know, I just forgave, and that's okay. And then the other people, like, you love confrontation. You're the person over here, like, man, I just love confrontation. That's a hard spot to be. I'll just say this right now. I'm okay with confrontation. At times, I used to be like, I love confrontation. When I loved it, it's because I was full of pride. When I'm okay with it, it's because I saw the outcome is a beautiful one when actually a real conversation happens. And so, so look, some of you are like, I love confrontation. Let's go. Let's do this. You, you might want to spend more time on your hands and knees before God praying for grace and gentleness and humility before you approach that person. I mean, like, like there's, there's healthy ways to communicate this. We had a friend, a really good friend of ours, this, just this last week, come up to, to Jen and I and say, like, hey, are, are we okay? And I thought that was so beautiful because that's, that's putting yourself out there, right? That's identifying, hey, things seem off, but have I done, have I hurt you? Have I struggled? That's, that's as far as it depends on me going for it. And look, I'm going to tell you right now what could happen. You might come to someone and say, hey, so I think I sinned against you. And they've been like, they had a baseball bat ready. And they're like, yes, finally, whack, you know, hit you right across the head. Sit in that spot. Let them air that out. And just you keep reminding yourself, like, look, I'm sorry, forgive me. Don't take on more that wasn't yours. But what you're doing is you're displaying God's grace. Similar to this person that came to us, it's like, look, that's an opportunity for us to sit at a table and say, look, this could be awkward, but I care too much about you to allow it to sit in this rift. And I don't want to, I'm not trying to be offensive to to women here, so please hear me on this. I'll say this sitting down so I'm less offensive. Um, Anyways, um, (laughs) women have this unbelievable ability to um, feel emotions that men a lot of times stuff or don't feel. Um, and so sometimes they cloud in other areas, and they, they, they spill out. And guys, the flip side, like you think you can compartmentalize as well as you can't. You can't. You, you stink at it. We all stink at it. But anyways, um, a lot of times, like in this situation, like if, if you go to someone, like, hey, have I wronged you? And they say, no, no, you haven't. The trick then is on you to, to, to treat them as if that's true. Right? A lot of times they'll be like, well, I know something was wrong. And so you just like, even though the conversation was had, you just run right back to you, like, it's just not okay. Like, like, trust each other. Work in that. Like, be okay with it. Uh, secondarily, like, if you're combative, maybe figure out ways to do it without being combative. Um, Jen and I had a fight uh, a couple weeks ago. We do fight. Everyone fights. It's okay. Um, and it was really, I love her for this. She's like, I just don't think we communicate that well. And me and all my wisdom of being right, right? I'm like, I think we communicate great. That doesn't work. Just so you know, that, that kind of proved the point that we weren't communicating well, right? And my point is this, is that she was, she was in a spot where she's like, hey, we're struggling. Like, communication isn't good, and, and, and we need to figure this out. Like, how do we communicate well? And I wasn't ready to receive that at that point. I had to seek forgiveness for that. But, but either way, my, my point is, is that it takes a posture of humility to do this. Whether you're, you like conf- confrontation or you struggle with confrontation, either way, we're both called to engage in it. 
we're both called to engage in it. Um, and then the, the other one I want to just point about is there's a correct way about going about this. Like, we teach our kids this. I don't, I don't know why. Like, look, here's the thing. You sinned. You messed up, right? When it comes to God, he's not confused by that. He's not like, oh, dude, I totally missed that time you did that. No, he, he knows all of it. He knows your thoughts. He knows your heart. He knows every single thing about you, yet he still graciously loves you in that. So when you approach someone that you've sinned against, that you struggled, you don't just go up and be like, hey, I'm sorry I hurt you. I just cannot stand that apology because it's, you're, you're taking ownership of their feelings. That's, that's not, you're, you're not even apologizing. We teach our kids this, and I don't know if you have kids. Sometimes, like, you're like, hey, you need to seek this, and so they're like, okay. I'm sorry, and forgive me. It's like there's no heart in it. Like, obviously, if that's all we're ever doing in parenting, we're, we're going to fail them pretty badly, right? But, but my point is this, is that it's, you look at them, look, I sinned against you. I thought bad things about you. I slandered against you. I gossiped about you. I don't care if you know about it or not. I sinned against you. Will you please forgive me? It's that simple. Will you please forgive me? It's the same way we go to God. God, I have sinned against you. Will you please forgive me? We don't go to God and be like, hey, sorry, God, I hope someday you can forgive me. He's like, uh, dude, I paid for that. I already paid for that on the cross. It's God, will you please forgive me? It's a, it's a posture thing. It's going about it in a healthy way. God calls us to forgive one another. He's commanded us of it. In fact, I think part of the issue and why he says, like, he won't forgive if we forgive is that, is that I would struggle to say that over an extended period of life, if you cannot forgive people, you have not understood or experienced God's forgiveness. If you just will not forgive, I will not forgive. And look, I'm, I'm willing to bet that there are some atrocious things that have happened to you, horrifying things. And I, I want to just say, like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that you've experienced that pain. You probably didn't deserve it at all. You, you got just waylaid in the crosshairs. This is a broken and dark and messed up world in need of the grace of God. But because of someone else's sin against you, you hold on unforgiveness, you're, you're, you're literally kind of benching yourself in this game. You're just kind of taking yourself out and saying, well, you know what? I know that the church is supposed to be seen as this forgiving and an amazing place, but I don't, I don't want part of that. So look, it's not saying that the sin didn't happen. It's what you do with it in your heart. And we are called to forgive as God has forgiven us. Has forgiven us. We're called to forgive as God has forgiven us. Anything that you want to do this is something I always try and do, and it's annoying. I had a mentor once tell me to do it. This will ruin you guys for life. It's fun. Is, is anytime you think, well, I can't do that for that. I won't forgive that person because they did this, this, and this. You apply that same stance with you and God. I cannot forgive them because they did it again. God, oh, you forgave me again. I, I won't forgive them because, man, they sinned, and that was horrible. Oh, right, I was horrible too. You, you, it's a vicious sight. You can't get out of it. And then the last thing I wanted to talk about, which is interesting, and this is kind of what's difficult is this, is um, you, if you heard the story of Zacchaeus in the Bible, he's a wee little man. You know, there's a song that goes along with it. Anyways, Zacchaeus was this guy, and, and he, he wants to see Jesus, so he climbs a tree, and if you, you, you can go back and look at the story. It's in Luke and, and a couple of the other Gospels. But anyways, he, he, he climbs this tree to want to experience Jesus, and Jesus, like, says, hey, come down from the tree, come over, like, hang out with me, and, and let's, let's go eat at your house. And, of course, a bunch of Pharisees are mad that he's eating with a tax collector. And then Zacchaeus does something that, that honestly is really painful for me to try and reconcile in my brain. He, he 
after experiencing Jesus, and, and Jesus then says, dude, salvation has come on this house. He has this, he has this claim. He's like, if I have wronged anyone, I will pay him back. Anyone else, I will pay four times that. And so what he just did by experiencing God's grace is put himself on the hook for the times he wasn't living in God's grace. So someone that was not raised in the church and lived a pretty atrocious life, it's like, oh man, that's a lot of people that I might need to go back to. And I've done this. I've had family, I've had friends and people I've gone to. And let me tell you this, it is the most humbling and beautiful thing ever. Because a lot of these friends are people that don't know Christ that I've gone to and I've done this with. And they're like, why would you, wow, why would you ask that? And what we're doing is we're displaying the light of Christ in a posture of repentance. This is what's, this is why this is such a big deal. Most of the people outside of the church don't want to come in the church because of the way we treat each other. If we can't forgive each other, we're definitely not loving each other. And if we're not loving each other, we're not displaying the manifold wisdom of God. And if that's not happening, then what are we doing? Why are we, why are we playing this game of, you know, check a box of religiosity? He's called us to live a life differently. And that means that if you are a bearer of name of Jesus Christ, if you bear that name, then you're on the hook to forgive. Lance is, is going to come up and we're going to worship some more. But I want to I wanna hit one last scripture of Colossians that we talk about. Colossians 3, 12, the Apostle Paul's talking about, um, he's talking about these people that are in this, like, look, you've, you've made a good choice in how they're living together and, and what they're doing. And, and so he's, he's like, look, put on then, as God's chosen ones, look, as children of God, put on this. Like, okay, you're, you're God's children. Put on holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness. Are you seeing what this takes? You're not going to forgive if you're not kind or, or meek or humble or gentle or compassionate, or patient, hearing, bearing with one another, and, and this is it, if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. Humble yourself. Set yourself down and God, search me, know me. I love that we're, we're in this spot because it's, it's Palm Sunday and, and this Friday is, is, we call it Good Friday. This, back in their day, it was not good. Right? It, was a, it was a bad day and, and we're going we're gonna to do something very intentional. I think the church has done a, a poor job in general and we've even done it as well. Everyone does a really good job of making a really big deal about Palm Sunday and Easter and then we just kind of go, oh, yeah, Good Friday's in the middle. Do you realize that the resurrection wouldn't happen if he didn't die? You realize that, that the, if the sacrifice wasn't made, we aren't forgiven and therefore we can't forgive. We aren't loved and therefore we can't love. Good Friday is an amazing time and needs to be celebrated. And so I would push on you, if you can't make it here because it's a Friday night or whatever, don't just skip out on it. But what we're going to do is we're going to have a cross here. We're going to give you an opportunity to hammer and nail some of the things, the sins of your life to the cross. And we're going to have the Lord's Supper communion back there. And what I love about that is this is maybe one of the first times that we as a church have said, okay, you guys have five days to labor in vain about this. I mean, to work hard at restoring some relationships so that you can come to the, the table and remember what God has done for you that has enabled you to do for others. Remember of, his, of the hope that's coming, the hope that we have because of what he's done. And you get to do it in a spot where you have the right heart. So I would push on you guys just lay hard into this. My assumption is every one of us has relationships. Like, man, it may be as simple as a phone call. Like, hey, I, I know it didn't end well. I don't know how to make it right. Like, can you please tell me how I offended you? Like, I've been praying for it, and I want to make it right. 
Like, how did I hurt you? What did I do? Like, what are the things? What are, how did I sin against you? Maybe as simple as that. Or some of you, you know it. You can go right back to the day. You're like, I remember what they're wearing. I got the situation. This was it. They said this, and I said this. You could play that. You played that conversation over and over and over and get in your head. Would you stop carrying it? Lay it down. Bear with one another. Forgive one another. Go and be reconciled so that when you come to worship, you can worship as a free child, not carrying something you weren't meant to carry. Be devoted to one another through forgiveness. Forgive as he has forgiven you. God, thank you for your triumphal entry that so quickly turned ugly like so many of our relationships, God. A lot of times it seems like we're being celebrating the, the best kind of friendship ever and then the next day we can't even say anything nice, think anything nice, see them and we, are, we get a sick feeling in our stomach and we run from God. Would you restore? Would you do what you came to do, which is redeem that which is broken? And right now, there are so many broken relationships inside your bride, God, that, that it is affecting the way we display your glory. So God, would you restore, would you give us the, the, the desire and the strength to run through these conversations, to have these conversations as painful as they are, knowing that we may get waylaid in this process, God, but maybe we trust that when we are obedient to you, we're doing what you call us to do. Father, would you give us the, the ability to forgive as you've forgiven? Would you remind us of how much you've forgiven for us, how much you did so that we can be forgiven? And we, we in turn, as your people, be that salt and light as we forgive one another. God, would you restore relationships in a way that only you could? Would you redeem that which seems unredeemable? Would you do what you came to do? And would you continue to invite and help lead us as a part of your, your kingdom here on earth? God, I long for, for your church to be seen as a place that forgives. I long, for, I long for, for the people here to be so infectious with your love for one another and, and forgiving one another that, that those outside of the church are like, that doesn't make sense. How could you forgive that? It'd be so easy to say because he forgave me. And as we build up to this week, realizing that, that this, this week symbolizes your, your death, where you gave absolutely everything to restore me into a right relationship with you, restore others into a right relationship with you, would you, would you help us remember that it's, it's through that that we can celebrate the resurrection and the hope that comes through Jesus Christ alone. It's in his name we pray. Amen.